Eric Wong, Managing Director of Ecofiber Industries. Thank you so much for being with us today on Hemp Barons. Oh, thank you, Joy. Lovely to be with you. Now, always great to talk. I'm so excited because I have both the pleasure and the honor of working with you uh, through the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is really my happy place in all of the advocacy work that I do because we have just such a tremendous team of support and incredibly intelligent and motivated folks like you who help to drive uh, our mission forward. And I'm excited about our interview today so that I get to learn more about you, Eric. Thank you, Joy. And I think, unfortunately, I'm here to learn more from you probably as what you've been doing in the industry for decades. Most of us are quite new to learning from you. So anyway, it's great to be with you, Joy, and lovely to catch up. Thank you so much. Now, of course, Ecofiber started in Australia, and you've already been with Ecofiber for just over six years as managing director, starting out, of course, as their executive director. Um, and you were it, you were working for an Australian financial services provider prior to that. So I'm dying to know with zero Australian accent, sir, what is your connection to Australia? Oh, uh, it's it's a long story, Joy. So I think. When I left the military back in 1998, after eight years of active duty, went back to business school and for a career change, and then decided to go, instead of to New York City, decided to go to Sydney for two years. And then Sydney two years became three, and three became 20, <laughs> before you know it. So that's how we ended up in Australia. But I think, Got it. you know, given my military background, I was probably the last person to ever have been thought to be dealing in you know, cannabis or hemp space. So it was it was quite a quite a surprise to me, but a very pleasant surprise in that joy. Indeed. And I noticed, by the way, after you you were educated first at West Point, uh, and then of course Dartmouth to get your MBA. Now I'm a I'm a Boston gal. I was born in Boston, as was my grandmother and my great grandmother, and raised in Maine. And so uh I I just have a a great uh, love of of that state, that area, and uh, and Dartmouth. To me, it just holds such a wonderful uh, feeling of of institution. Yeah. And that just a that was a great little fact that I that I had learned about you. What made you want to get into business? By the way, from the military. Oh, listen, I think it's because all my brothers had MBAs, and all of them worked on Wall Street. And I think there was one time I was in Bosnia, um, sitting with my squadron commander. And it was, about, it was a Friday night, probably like 10 o'clock at night in the middle of the winter. And we were sitting in front of a kerosene stove keeping warm. And I remember him saying, you know, you can have a great career, you know, stick it out. And then I thought, wow, <laughs> if a great career when I'm 40, sitting in front of us and burning fuel with a 20-year-old didn't really seem like my life ambition that time. So at that time, I decided it was time to transition careers. And this I only sort of knew military before that. So... I thought I'd go into business. And like I said, expected to go to New York City, had taken the job in New York City, but then decided we would do one more trip overseas. Um, and like I said, you know, I never would have thought 20 years in Sydney and then never thought I'd be in Kentucky now running a hemp business. So like I said, life has funny turns to it. It is so glorious what the what the plant has in store. You know how I feel about mm -hmm. that, that plant. Yes. Uh, and let me ask you this. So how did Ecofiber discover you, or, or if you would prefer to answer this question, and although I'm so curious about that, how were you introduced to hemp? Was it through Ecofiber? Sure. So I had a very good friend named Barry Lambert. And so when I was in financial services, Barry Lambert 
um, was one of the grandfathers of the Australian financial services industry. And so he was a very important client and personal friend of mine. And back in 2015, his granddaughter, Caitlin Lambert, was diagnosed with Dravet syndrome. And she had some pretty severe seizures. And, you know, obviously we've all heard the stories of kids with seizures. And they were so bad. When she was about two and a half years old, everyone expected she would pass. And I remember I was having dinner with Barry and his wife, Joy, and my wife, Christy. And they had just come back from an appointment. And I remember um, the doctor said the prognosis was quite poor. And Barry mentioned that, um, you know, telling Joy, she asked, you know, sort of, you have to sort of get your head around it. And Barry and Joy lost a child when they were younger parents. Okay. And I remember Joy and Barry saying, we're not going to let their son go through the same pain of losing a child. And so that's when they did some research and found CBD and ordered some from Europe and obviously illegally um, brought it into the country and the seizure stopped. Okay. And I remember having dinner after that with them and they were explaining to me and I didn't understand what CBD was. And so I didn't quite get the whole concept. And then, you know, a few months later, you know, we had dinner again and Barry said he's thinking about setting up the Lambert Initiative, University of Sydney, because none of the doctors would believe that the CBD stopped the seizures. And he was very angry that they wouldn't sort of recommend it to other children. And Lambert's had a lot of other, you know, obviously families in those small circles dealing with it. And so that's when the Lambert's donated $34 million to set up the Lambert Initiative. So I remember sitting with Barry talking about it and they got it structured up. And then, as you can imagine, right after that, you know, I think every cannabis grower in the world was writing, you know, dear Mr. Lambert, have I got a deal for you? <laughs> and so <laughs> you can imagine that. So, you know, he, he would chat with me about it. And then he sent me something and then said, listen, if we get efficacy proven, you know, there is going to be a need for accessibility and affordability. And he said, you know, I bumped into this guy who founded Ecofiber 15 years ago. And, you know, it's a lot of genetics and seeds, but, you know, can you have a look at it with me? And so I did some research. I didn't know what hemp or marijuana the difference was. And so it was a bit of a crash course. Unfortunately, we had Google back in 2015, or I would have struggled to understand it. And we went to Kentucky out of the blue, spent four days in Kentucky because they were just, I think they had grown maybe 50 acres in Kentucky in 2015. Mm-hmm. We were there for three or four days. And then um, there was not, really not a lot there, as you would know, Joy. Back then, you know, everything was very, very cottage industry. And, you know, Barry, Barry said, okay, so we should do this. You know, we need to, it comes from a good place and there's a lot to be done. And I have to say, when I looked at it, I was still dubious of it. But then I spent time and I found a PBS video where it was about hemp. And that was when, you know, they went through the whole history in Kentucky and then how the farm bill was coming through. And there was a quote from some politicians said, and Senator McConnell had a quote saying, you know, he's very proud to push the farm bill pilot program to bring a new commodity crop for tobacco farmers. And that's when it hit me that the industrial use in the fiber side was where I was really interested in it. And obviously, Barry is very interested from CBD side, but it was all the same in the end for us. So we got involved, you know, bought a large chunk of the company. I went home, told my father that I was thinking about this. And he said, are you kidding me? This is, you know, what are you thinking? And then the next day I went in and resigned from my job. And then, um, yeah, you know, worked out my, worked out my notice period and, and, uh, you know, came out in 2016 and, you know, tried to learn about everything in hemp. And, and, you know, I've been very fortunate. I met a lot of really, really nice people, 
met a lot of people who would, you know, give time to explain things. And the reality is this is, you know, business is business, right? Those principles are the same as I get, but hemp, you know, hemp and, and cannabis has its own set of dynamics, but it's been fun because like every day is a, is a new project because it's, whether well, it's new product development, new processing techniques, pricing, marketing strategies, you know, there's no blueprint to look off of because it's brand new and that's what makes it so exciting joy. And like I said, I got to meet a lot of really neat people um, and hopefully we'll continue to, you know, going forward. So it's been like, you know, one of the most rewarding things I've done in my career because you really start from, from scratch and, you know, as you know, you see what the plant does for people. And when people come up and thank you and tell you what's happened, then it's, it's pretty rewarding that, you know, it's, in financial services, no one thanks you for making a complex managed fund, you know, but people thank you, people thank you when they're not in pain. And, and you know that, and people, you know, when you heal them, they say, thank you for that. And, and it's very personal. So it's, you know, for me, it's been a really nice shift from what I used to do to something that, to be honest, is very, very tangible and changes people's lives. And you know that very well. It's fulfilling, it's rewarding, it's purpose-driven, and I think you're just getting started with all those great experiences that you're that you're feeling and having um, as you not only explore but straight up lead the emerging hemp industries in a couple of continents. Uh, <laughs> and with yeah, but I, I tell you what, Joy, it, it's you know I'm fortunate because I have to say the hard work is done by people like yourself. Because, you know, trying to get it legal. I mean, I came in right when the pilot program was done. So I didn't have to go through 10 or 15 years of trying to convince people it's not dangerous. You know, and, and that and that takes some a lot of determination and a lot of perseverance to do that. So, you know, I think this is where people come in, you know, at my stage. You know, I think I'm a hanger on, to be quite frank, because the hard work was done beforehand. So, yeah. So, you know, I want to lead things. But it is, you know, the hard work was done you know, legalizing it was not easy. No, but but for me, as I often say, the marathon began with the 2014 Farm Bill, and now it's on like Donkey Kong, that marathon, with the 2018 yeah. <laughs> Farm Bill. And it's true, you know, I often think it was it was passion and purpose that led that led me to open up a hemp store in Woodstock, New York in 1994 when I mean I had everything against me. I had the secret service just sending me a cease and desist letter all of those things. But the bottom line is that to me that was the front that that was the front load, brother. Now and then the minute it's legal it's like please we need you. We need everybody in to now take this and and run with it. So I really believe the marathon started then and now we need you to run with it. And, and with that, let's talk about the many lines and that Ecofiber has right now available, products on the market and genetics uh, on the market. And then if we could talk about, of course, what you are working on, and then you know I've, I would love to be able to uh, address Ecofiber's really tremendous and impressive uh, focus on sustainability. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with the first business we set up. So we have three businesses. So we believe in using all parts. Um, so we have a food business out of Australia. Uh, we have a medicinal or CBD business out of Kentucky. And we have a high performance industrial use business that's headquartered out of North Carolina. And so I'll start with, you know, our CBD business. Everyone's very, very familiar, obviously, with CBD. Um, you know, we use a brand called Ananda Professional. Um, and we're very focused on pharmacies and physicians. 
Um, and it's really driven by the fact that, you know, the, we've put a lot of investment in research and clinical studies. So we have four FDA authorized studies. So two at University of Colorado, one at Eastern Virginia Medical School, and one at Mainline Health in Philadelphia, looking at a range of different conditions. So there are phase two studies with INDs on them. We have one major study going on in Australia. I think it's apparently the largest sleep study um, done since a multi-site, but it's done on healthy patients as opposed to those with diagnosed condition. Um, that's to help mature the Australian market with it. And then, you know, probably what, what I'm most passionate about in the medicinal side is our women's health um, work that we do. Dr. Alice Capano, some of you may know her, is, is you know, our chief science officer and you know, phenomenal. She's a nurse practitioner, has a PhD in cannabinoid science, and just, you know, a, a rock star of all rock stars. And, you know, we've discussed, and, you know, there's no good c- treatments for pelvic pain for women and endometriosis. And so we've done some pretty significant work on it so far. And, and, you know, I can share a little bit, but we file patents. And typically, I don't file patents on medicinal. We believed in it's o- over the counter and it's a nutraceutical or dietary supplement. But for this one here, because of, What's happening with treatment on cancer cells? We actually um, have gone down a path, a more formal path, with that, and mainly because I think when it comes to the treatment and oncologists using CBD, they want to see things the way they're used to seeing on, is the way they want to do it. Um, and like I said, this was you know like all inventions, it is we found this out by accident because um, we had done a lot of work on endometrial lesions. Um, using something called organoids, which is really stem cell research to regenerate the organ um, so it behaves like it normally would. And, you know, trying to be thorough, we tested it against not just lesions, but chemo-resistant, chemo-sensitive cancers. And like I said, some pretty, you know, for me, pretty shocking results for people like you, probably, you know, <laughs> you expect it to happen. But, you know, science, unfortunately, requires, you know, that rigor and proving to failure versus success. So, there's a bit of a pathway to it, but, you know, we've moved pretty quickly on it. And, and that's probably some of the bigger work we've done because it is about, you know, very few good treatments for pelvic pain, even fewer treatments for endometriosis and you have infertility issues. So it's a big space that's really not well, well treated or well, well um, addressed at all. So it's a pretty big passion for ours um, to do this. So that's the end of health business. Um, and like I said, we, you know, the fundamental belief we have joy is that, you know, we believe that natural health care will increase in prominence across the world and CBD has a role to play in natural health care. So that is our investment thesis. I just have to say for a moment, just absolutely fascinating. And, uh, the focus on women's health I am learning about right here in this interview. Thank you tremendous what a what an important focus and we love that product it's it's almost like immediate the work that does so you know pharmacies sell it and you know a lot of OBGYNs and family practice use that so like see it's and it's nice and this is where you do get you know i get emails um and the team gets emails you know saying hey thank you this has been a lifelong issue for me and in 20 minutes this happened. So it's, it's satisfying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's satisfying. So, and you get, and you get thanked by people who are thanking you because people they love are being, are, are enjoying relief. It's, mm, it's wonderful. Yeah. And you know, it's satisfying. It's, it's a nice thing to, it brings you job satisfaction. Yes. So, it makes yeah. your heart happy. It just makes your heart happy. It mm. does. Yeah. And the second business is our food business that we have in Australia. And so, 
our investment thesis is plant-based diets will increase in prominence across the globe, especially as... And of course they will. Yes. And so, you know, there's a need for high quality protein. And as all of us know in this podcast, hemp is one of the most outstanding, complete proteins there are. Um, so we are, you know, we only grow 100% Australian. So we're the largest producer by a fair, by a fair, fair margin in Australia. A vast majority of everything that gets consumed in Australia touches our hands. And we also have an outstanding equine product. Um, because as you know, you have the core product and you have the byproduct. And the byproduct could be 40 or 50% of the mass. And so we found, a, you know, we've sort of did some formulations and it's a top, top equine. Equine product, you know, low sugar, low starch, high protein, high fiber. And so it's been, you know, obviously tested for THC and all the equine. So it's being used in competition. So I think that's just, a, you know, as you know, it's a very high, high volume, you know, and high, I'll say it, high end market because people spend a lot on, on the horses. Yes. And it's a great way to buy product without having to waste anything. So, yeah, so very happy. So true. And I, and I'll just I'll take this opportunity just in case it resonates with you and you want to carry this torch as you move about the planet doing your good work. And that is that in hemp, I tend to always use the word co-product. Okay. Because that's how awesome hemp is. <laughs> yeah. There we go. No, okay. I get it. And Absolutely. You, so you've got core products and co-products, and oh my goodness, and the companion animal do you do it dip into pets at all or just the equines just the equine because equine actually uses up such a high volume yeah i didn't realize how much horse eats a horse eats a lot joy and so it's pretty scary it's pretty scary how much they go through they're big yeah so it's sort of like like all these businesses you have to balance the two you know like in 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 text in the fiber you have fiber in your herd you have to balance the two you can't just try to sell the fiber and then you have a huge amount of herd left over and, and you got to deal with that. So yeah. So that's like I said, um, um, we don't do the, you know, we looked at doing smaller pets. Um, but like I said, just found out the equine is that market, especially in the performance area, they're quite selective on what they use. And this like I said, performs, you know, they prefer this to grass and hay by a long shot. So, you know, we charge a fair bit more than they pay for typical feed but they're very happy to because it's performance that it has. So yeah. So it's, I think that one's in the end, it's going to be, that one's going to be a harder one to keep up with. So before you think you have, you know, all the extra meal and flour, I think with how fast equines going, we're going to have too much oil and, and dehulled seeds and then parts left over. Listen, so we'll figure that out. That is fantastic. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about that. Like what a good problem to have in a way it's because, a great problem. because it's the opposite problem is what is happening in, you know, in most of the United States with a few other processors, you know, I am, I have a little part ownership in Colorado hemp works and you know, those, those oil presses are going all the time, but certainly the, the seed cake is, is, there's a lot of there's it. a lot of it there's a lot of it yeah. over so yeah absolutely. wow so, that and, and listen the final business yeah it's good so and the final business we have is hemp black and i think this is near and dear to your heart so yeah so i so back in 2016 i'd always wanted to do the industrial side and i remember we had a big farm day out in, in kentucky um and you know it was a beautiful crop it was sort of you know the classic 20 foot crop and just like corn because we, we do, do very well with the genetics and i remember the kentucky state departments were all saying hey we got you know we can co-fund stuff we can give grants 
and everyone wanted me to build a mill. And then I just, I struggled a little bit because as you would know that there wasn't the market quite yet. And, you know, fiber in a, in a non-woven sense is quite low margin and quite hard to, to make a market out of at that time. So I went to a university in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia School of Textiles and Design, because they had a lot of, you know, they were one of the top textile schools. And I went to them, we'd met and over a few times and said, listen, I'd like to make a product or products um, that use the herd of the plant. And the herd has a lot of interesting properties, whether it be surface area, carbon content, antimicrobial, you know, there's a range of things. And let's figure out how to do that. Because that's, in the end, if I can figure that out, then 75%, I don't have to try to recoup all of my profit and costs out of 25% of the plant. I can do it out of 100% of the plant. You know, I think people forget the byproduct and, and it's very hard to run a business that way. You know, I was very fortunate. A guy named Steve Spinelli was the president. And he founded Jiffy Lube. So he was an entrepreneur, very entrepreneurial president. And I remember we were speaking over Christmas, over Christmas, we would speak, you know, half a dozen times. And we ended up setting up a research partnership with the university, um, which ended up with, I don't know how many patents, quite a few patents right now, I think six and another 17 pending. And that's what seeded my hemp black business. And a lot of the staff and faculty and students from the university ended up, you know, moving with me. Um, and the university is still a wonderful partner, and that, that's what seeded the business. Yeah, so then we expand. And so what we do right now in, in Hemp Black is a few things. So we do a lot of high-performance mm. yarns, high-performance master batch, and 3D knitting. But the core of what we do is the carbon, okay? And so, you know, the herd is very important to us, and we carbonize the herd. So we have a paralysis paralysis machine in our Kentucky facility. Ooh, yeah, that just that just uh, that elicits an emotional <laughs> response. But continue, brother. Enjoy pyrolysis. <laughs> <laughs> so so that you know we patented, put utility patent process patents on it all through to you know you can't patent growing and pyrolysis, but you know how it's ground and how it's used, and so using the high performance and and other things. So. Our focus is this, as you would know, that um, the bi- the end product we have on hemp black when we carbonize and grind is carbon black. Okay, and carbon black, as you know, is everything that's black contains carbon black, and carbon black is the incomplete combustion of petroleum. So pyrolysis turns you on, but the incomplete combustion of petroleum is not so not such a good sounding, but that's what it is, right? And it's a carcinogen carcinogenic product, and so our the hemp biochar and ground into the carbon black is carbon negative right the plant comes out negative and work through the process and it's you know we have a material health safety platinum rating on it because it's a pure bio-based carbon black and that's what's yeah and that's what's really important it's a cradle cradle msds medc platinum rated carbon black the only one in the world okay but it's bio-based and that's what as people talk about bio-based plastics and hemp and things like that, you know, by the fact of us having it into a pigment, you know, there's a process where you load it with olefins and then it can become a very high, highly loaded. Um, they call it master batch from injection molding with a bio-based material, and that's where you get to bio-based plastics. Okay, in a very efficient manner. Now, unfortunately, it has to be black, but you know, most things. A lot of things in the world that are injection molded are black. And so what you have is you have the carbon captured in the soil. You've permanently captured the carbon from the stalk because it never gets released again. Okay. You have 
right? So there is a market on the carbon, and it goes around a few things, Joyce. So from the growing of it, farmers are locking up carbon. From our process, we're locking up carbon, okay? And if you just look at it from, we're doing some numbers, so there's quite a bit, I don't want to throw numbers out because we have a university doing the research and validating it for us, but you know that carbon black is carbon positive, and black carbon is carbon negative, and by a fair bit. Um, so that's one important initiative is genuinely, because, you know, as you know, people, this carbon offsets, it's a bit of a, you know, if I don't, you know, if you don't drive to work tomorrow, then I get to use your carbon offset. It, it's actually, there's still carbon created, right? You're not, you're not yeah. permanently sequestering it. So, you know, we're working pretty hard on that. Trading carbon, trading carbon use for the day, essentially. Correct. So our view is hemp is the new black. Okay. And that's kind oh, of where we are. Wow. Oh, the gift that keeps on giving when I, when I talk eco-fiber, let me tell you, wow, this is the new Yeah, I, I love this because it's, and you know, our genetics, you know, we're growing in I think nine states right now. And, you know, the team's going around the country right now with, you know, we're getting the genetics, you know, aligned with all the different farmers. So the nice thing is what we try to do in Australia, we grow from basically Tasmania to Northern Territory which is in the U.S. the same as growing from the Rio Grande Valley up to Wisconsin. Okay, from top to bottom, our genetics, you know, sort of different genetics work. And that just lets you roll, have a rolling season of hemp. Because if you think about it, in Australia, we grow in three different states. And they, the only six states in Australia. So we literally grow, you know, in Wisconsin and then kind of, say, North Carolina and then in Florida is how we grow. But what that does is that spreads out my cash flow, spreads out my risk. And spreads out some biodiversity too. Yeah, absolutely. Great. You know, because you want hemp coming as a steady flow around the year, not all of it showing up in one month and then you're trying to figure out how to store it. So, you know, over time, it'll be three, four, five times a year we get shipments. And the same thing in the US here, we want to have shipments coming, you know, nine months of the year, not two, two months out of the year because it really is hard to, it's bulky. Right. And, and I think you can't get a proper supply chain without that. And like I said, you want to get it across all the states because this is about, you know, this is should be a national crop. But I do think, Joy, you know, it's, it's important that, you know, a lot of the companies focus on the industrial uses as well, because, you know, that's what's going to really make this, this a, a commodity crop. Um, CBD, as all of us know, you don't have to grow a lot of CBD um, crops to supply a very large amount of product. Uh, that um, that lesson was learned the hard way. Yes, indeed. Takes a, a just a little bit of hemp to make a lot of distillate oh, yeah. to simplify the the lesson. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. So I think you know the food will will you know as a grain will have a fair amount of acreage, but the industrial use will and people use everywhere from putting it into fibers, putting it into what we do, or just using it as a carbon capture and soil you know soil regeneration and improvement. Right, so you can see mining sites using it as a soil remediation crop. Um, you can see it taking out the heavy metals out of soil. So I think the uses will get broader and broader. But I think the important part is having somewhere for the crop to go. And like I said, you know, sometimes you want to focus on the sexy things, but sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta cover the whole whole spectrum to make it work. And I think you know, with the lessons learned on CBD being overheated, making sure that, that this fiber crop doesn't get overheated too quickly. So, you know, you don't have everywhere from farmers to processors having too much. And likewise, you don't have manufacturers 
you know, not getting what they need. And so that's, that's a really important balance that we have to get right. And I think the nice thing we have, Joy, is there's no shortage of interest and no shortage of people committing to it. Those dots are being connected. I'm, I'm watching it happen just as I knew and believed it's the age of 24 <laughs> that it, it's happening. I mean, why would we have dedicated so much and, and risked so much if we didn't know? And I guess that's also the larger point is that many of us who who just sort of risk things in the mean when it wasn't cool it wasn't sexy and it was dangerous uh is because we knew it wasn't that we hoped it wasn't that we had faith although i have lots of faith it wasn't that we were confident we just knew it was it's a knowing brother it is a knowing and we're watching that knowing unfold and here i am speaking with the manifestation of that and you're watching it ha- unfold and that interest yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's great. And, and I just, I hope, you know, the, the lessons I think we learned from the CBD industry is I think everyone there thought it had to be a zero-sum game. I think the fiber industry, what I'm seeing is, as people work, it's a positive-sum game, okay? So I think people realize there is such a big market, there's so much opportunity that you don't have to step on everybody. Okay, there, there's... You know, the, what I'm doing is probably one one hundredth of the uses there are. We will all go whaling for the rest of our lifetimes is how Jace Calloway of Fanola. I have you ever met Dr. Jace Calloway and Anna Tamil? No, I have oh, not. you would love no, them. But as he's you know, because people are all concerned about, you know, we're all gonna go whaling for the rest of our lives. That's what hemp can do, and that's where we're at in the evolution of it. Now so that I don't leave certain, and, and I, I speak about pyrolysis from time to time um, on this on on hemp barons, but so that I don't leave certain of my listeners hanging here. Could you give us sort of the the summary of pyrolysis, and then if I could ask you um, m- uh, other things that might be used with the carbonized fiber, the carbonized herd? Thank yeah, you. sure. Of course, yeah. So pyrolysis is really just burning without oxygen in its simplest in its simplest term. So, you know, we have the hemp herd. It comes in and it burns anywhere from 600 to 1100 degrees Celsius. And as it sort of makes its way through the heating chamber, there's a mix of nitrogen and oxygen going in there just to make sure it doesn't flame up, which is what the nitrogen is, is doing in there for us. And then when it comes out, you imagine, you know, 100 pounds of hemp herd goes in and about 20 pounds of biochar comes out. And that's because all the impurities in the hemp have been burned off. And then all the gases then are put through what's called a thermal oxidizer to make just pure oxygen um, coming out of that. And like I said, the biochar, a lot of people use the biochar as a wonderful remediator for soil. But the hard part is by the time you've made that biochar, it's pretty expensive soil remediator. And so there's a point in time when it will become, you know, at such a scale, which it can go into the soil and it's worthwhile, but we then grind it down. And so there are different levels of grinding down of micron sizes. And so at its kind of most base use, we grind it and it gets used as a pigment in injection molding. Okay. So it's a, instead of carbon black, it's replacing carbon black. At another level, it's used as a spray coating, so on a whole range of different steel products, you know, the powder coating, once again, you can use that pigment. You can use the pigment to replace carbon black on t-shirts. So think about someone who has a recycled or beautiful t-shirt, and then 
you use petroleum-based ink on it. You just killed it, right? And so there's a lot of, you know, we have a lot of people using the ink. So it's a bio-based ink versus a petroleum-based ink. I just, I didn't know, I am learning about this in this interview, in this interview, Eric, because we talk shop and advocacy and complex areas of law and regulation when we're together. <laughs> I just, I did not realize. Now, certainly we're all looking for the soy inks, the soy inks. Love you, soy, but I love hemp <laughs> as the new black better. It is, it's a perfect, because there's so much, as you know, there's so much carbon because it breathes so much carbon, so much carbon in the plant. It's a very efficient source of carbon. And at the very pointy end of it all, Joy, this is what the hard stuff we do in North Carolina is, we take a very fine powder, put it in a master batch, and it gets spun into a very, very fine, high-performance yarns. And these yarns give you conductivity. Okay, so if you think about wearables, wearables have always been watches in, in around your chest because you've never been able to get a conductive fabric. Because if, you know, you need copper or something in there, and if you, you know, the fabric groups or tears, you lose conductivity. And so that's what we work on in, in North Carolina is very fine, high-performance conductive yarns. Like I said, that, that will – and listen, I'm not smart enough as to use. It's like, you know, what, what we are happy is it's like when someone invented you – know, I use the word plastic. All of a sudden, the whole world changed, like – or glass, right? It just changed how you did things. So if you can make conductive yarns – it will change things to, you know, your wallpaper is conductive. Who needs plugs in the house? You know, who uses wires? So, brother, I'm I'm going nuts right now. I uh, there's no need for me to sit here and pretend that I'm not on fire right now. I mean, wow. Okay, so you're already freaking doing it. You're already doing. I did not realize this, and that is. You know, when I was started to learn about nanotechnology a bit, you know, just the basics, so the basics, brother. And that was through OSU, uh, John Simon's teaching that one. And uh, I started to learn because why was I learning about it? I was learning about it because, of course, hemp cellulose is second only to graphite whiskers and carbon nanotubes in terms of surface area and strength is my understanding. And when I'm finished, you will please polish if I have misspoken there. But so then I had to learn about, you know, nanotechnology because we didn't, when I first got into hemp 30 something years ago, there was no looking at things on the nanoscale. A nanometer is of course a, a billionth of a meter. I mean, it's, so we couldn't see it. So then, so I get into the hemp moon, blah, blah, blah. The years go on. Now we can see things on the nanoscale and then we, this is discovered. So I start to learn about it. In that lesson, as I, as I was learning a little bit about it, it was like, they said, you know, imagine if your T-shirt could become a computer. And of course, that and that's sort of a, a wild thing, although apparently achievable. The more thing that really lights my fire, of course, is exactly what you're saying. The conductive wallpaper or the hempcrete home that has a layer of carbonized herd, then the, the home becomes its own source of energy. Am I correct? Yes, correct. And I wish I had one here in my office at home, but, you know, we have these, you know, it's, it's sort of party tricks. So we have t-shirts printed with our carbonized ink and you have these little cubes that when you join the circuit, they light up so you can put it on the t-shirt and a cube lights up. So I don't have that. Oh party, I don't have the party toy here. So it's, it's at the office. So. But it, it, wow. But as you know, Joy, it becomes like, I, I couldn't tell you how to be used, but 
there are smarter, clever people who all of a sudden have something to solve a problem they couldn't solve before. And that's what's exciting. Thank you. And, 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 you know, that's the important thing. And that's why I've discussed with you that one thing I would like to see change in if it has to be done through a technical amendment or in the next farm bill, that non-compliant hemp, meaning hemp that has failed whatever test, it's above 0.3, obviously, percent delta 9 THC, total THC. That is the most valuable cellulose in the world, uh, and and it would need to be destroyed. And so, and, and the and the reason, so what we would like, I would like to see, is that the that hot hemp, then under obviously strict regulation, could actually a, a an appropriate way to dispose of that hot hemp is through pyrolysis at a certain temperature that is known, obviously, to to render all the cannabinoids inactive so that the government can be totally convinced that nobody's going to be intoxicated by this and that it can then enter the stream of concert, commerce. But the bigger point is... Just as you just said, hey, smarter people than me are going to figure out what to do with this stuff. We're making it available. And that's my point in the advocacy of that attachment that I have to allowing pyrolysis to be a way to dispose of hot hemp and enter the stream of commerce is because there are those smart people and those companies, the air and everything from air and space to computers and cell phones to they they need those materials to be available and then they can run with them. But if we don't make them available on mass, they can't do their R&D and they can't incorporate them into their existing manufacturing regimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so our job is to give them something to work with, give them something different and let them solve a problem with it. So. So it's exciting stuff. And, and, and like I said, Joy, you know, this is, you know, this is one, one hundredth or one, one thousandth of how this can be used. You know, so we are, you know, we think we're broad, but we're very narrow in the scheme of things. It's like, you know, we think we're, earth is significant, but in the, make it relative to the galaxy, we're pretty damn small. So I think, yeah, there's a lot to be done here. And, th- and that's why, you know, if I have a message to people, it, it's a positive sum game, especially in industrial use thing. So you know, everyone we're working with collaborates versus competes with each other because, you know, this is one of these, you know, these huge Las Vegas buffets. You will never, ever run out of opportunity. Um, and I think we just, yeah, so I enjoy working people with that mindset, you know, and I think especially in the space when you find people who are, yeah, look at it as a zero-sum game. They're just not the right people to work with because, you know, they won't see things the right way. So my view, my view. So. That is the reality of it. I will sit here and validate your view, sir, is indeed. This is, and and the time for this zero-sum games and zero-sum games and all of this is over. Uh, the only thing that will save humanity and the planet is cooperation. And, uh, and I think that hemp and cannabis in all of its forms uh, is, is breeds and inspires and is here in fact to reteach us how, how to cooperate. And the fact that Ecofiber uh, from an industrial and corporate perspective understands that on such a core level is so promising. And I, I am just so thrilled that I get to get to know you and that I get to be a tiny bit a part of what's happening with Ecofiber through its tremendous contributions uh, through the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. Uh, well, yeah, but I, I tell you, as I mentioned before, honestly, and I'm not just saying it, you know, this Ecofiber is not here if people like you 
didn't set up the platform for it, you know, because I, I don't think I'm the type of person that would have taken that many years trying to legalize it. You know, it's not, that's not easy to do. So, you know, I sort of came in, I came in when it became easy to do that. So, uh, you know, I thank you and, and, you know, the other folks who really sort of pioneered the legalization of it. It's a big deal. Oh, so. gratitude is so mutual. And uh, it's just, it's to see a dream fulfilled. And it's to see a dream fulfilled in the here and now as we sit in 2022 because you are already creating these these materials uh, that are going to and already are changing the world. Boy, Eric, I, I'm so excited to have you on again. I will be so excited to visit you in Kentucky so that I can see that. Yes, anytime you can make it down. I will be there. I will be there. Thank you for everything that you do and for joining us today on Hemphamies. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.